Is your career not quite moving in the direction you want it to? That's because building the career you want is no longer about climbing the ladder of success. Technology and the speed of information have made advancing in your career more like climbing a rock wall. Thankfully, you found the Career Progressions Podcast brought to you by RevealedTalent.com. I'm your career advocate, Mark Holman. Our podcast focuses on the stories of career pros and experts who have climbed before you. What they will share with you will help you find the climbing holes they use to get to where they are today. Their stories will help you be proactive, be intentional, and keep moving forward. Well, today I want to tell you the story about an aspiring young marketing professional named Lucy. She had an interview for her dream job at one of the largest marketing firms in town. She'd spent days preparing an exceptional presentation that showed off many of her previous campaigns. When she confidently walked into the interview room and plugged in her USB, to her horror, the title slide that came up said, Making Happier Students, Why Homework Should Be Banned from School. <laughs> it was their son's debate class presentation. They'd grabbed each other's presentation by mistake. It's clearly not the argument she wanted to make. So I'm wondering, do you have a story about an interview that went horribly wrong? Today, we're going to talk about interviews and how to win them using the right evidence. To help me with this topic, I'm thrilled to have Thea Kelly with me. Thea has been a job search coach for over 15 years. She's highly regarded as a strategic partner for professionals who want to shine in the interview process. Forbes magazine described her first edition of her book, Get That Job, The Quick and Complete Guide to a Winning Interview, as excellent. And the second edition, I'm telling you, is even better. We're excited to have her here today to talk about the evidence that she says makes the difference for winning an interview. So, hey, Theo, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mark. It's always a pleasure to help job seekers get results. Well, hey, first, congratulations on a second edition. That's always a nice accomplishment. And it also speaks to the fact that your book seems to be helping folks. Yeah, I've gotten a lot of nice, uh, not a nice recommendations on, on Amazon from people saying, hey, I got the job. This made it so much easier. Man, yeah. that's that's what it's all about. When your work's yeah. able to touch people's lives like that, that's awesome. So, yep. Thea, tell, tell us a little bit about your career journey. I'm wondering how it inspired your passion about this topic of interviewing. Yeah, well, I've had a pretty varied career. Uh, even been a bit of a job hunter, um, job hopper when I was younger, and uh, everything from being a life coach back in the '90s to mm -hmm. working with nonprofits that help people get jobs, as well as some work in the corporate world, like corporate training. And during all that, I've had a lot of interviews myself, which I didn't do very well because I didn't yet have any uh, background in how to do that. Um, like a lot of people, I just kind of winged it. But anyway, when I when I was laid off from a, a job I had back in 2008 at the beginning of the recession, I did a little freelancing, which, by the way, I really recommend doing when you're between jobs for various reasons. Um, and so I started helping people with resumes and interviewing, and I discovered that I loved doing that. Hmm. And I wanted to just go on doing that instead of going back and getting a regular job. So I got serious about it. I took some trainings. I got certifications and hung out my shingle in 2008 as Thea Kelly Career Services. 
And that's what I've been doing ever since, helping job seekers, especially around interview preparation. Well, and I tell you, and I think our audience needs to appreciate how difficult it is to make a transition like that, because my story is very similar to yours, too. We had a restructuring in a job I was with for many, many, many years. It created a wonderful opportunity to go into uh, into that big old world with severance, and and I found a passion for the same kind of thing. But it's it's a difficult pivot, right? I mean, you're, you're establishing your credibility, and, and you're bringing your value in a different way than you have your whole career. So first of all, hats off for the transition, and I'm glad you've used all the that you've learned in your career to now be helping folks. So yeah, yeah go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say thank you. And it's uh, being self-employed in the long run is not for everyone. It works great for me yeah. and you, uh, not for everyone, but it's a great thing, like I said, to do sometimes for a while and uh, get, get, get experience, get contacts while you're looking for something else. Really good experience. No doubt. Well, let's let's jump into the book. Let's give a little flavor of of what the book brings to the audience here. So in it, you you put a lot of emphasis on the importance of providing evidence in an interview. So I'm wondering, what do you mean by evidence as it relates to a winning interview? Yeah. So what I mean is um, a lot of people go into interviews and let's say they're asked a question like, what are your greatest strengths? And they they say, you know, I'm really driven. I'm an effective relationship builder. I'm collaborative. And they're making these claims for themselves. And the interviewer is thinking, well, everybody says that. You're telling me what you think of yourself. Yep. But I'm I'm not convinced. So, so how do you convince them? I mean, obviously, that's the, the number one question. And I've had my ideas that I've shared with folks about that. So how do you, in the book, talk about, you know, supporting the evidence or providing that supporting evidence that that backs that up? Yeah. So one of the biggest ways to do that is with stories. And I know everybody out there has heard about telling stories in interviews and everybody, a lot of people know what STAR stands for, you know, situation, task, action, results. Um, but there's there's more to know about that because I when I work with clients, I'm finding that a lot of them are not telling stories very effectively. They don't have enough stories there. There's just a lot that they could be doing better. Hmm. Um so let me just start by uh, pointing out STAR. Um, one little tip about STAR is that rather than seeing it as situation, task, action, results, and I have often found that thought that situation and task is kind of redundant and they mm -hmm. just put, put the two letters instead of one in order to have a cool acronym. Right. But another uh, smart way of looking at that is think of the T as target. And that's uh, describe a target that you individually decided on for what you wanted to achieve, not just that somebody else told you ha you had to do. So either mentioned that you volunteered or took the initiative to, to do what is you're about to tell the story about, or um, that you were assigned the task and you went one step farther and decided, you know, how efficient you wanted it to be or how you were going to involve the right people or, or that you even wanted to go above and beyond. So that's just a little tip about what to think about with your star stories. Um, I actually use a different acronym with people. I often, I usually talk about SOAR, S-O-A-R. And that O is an extra part that you can add, and it's about obstacles. Interesting. So, I like it. Yeah. So uh, to give a, a real, an example everybody would recognize, <clears throat> let's say that you were just going to talk about the situation, the action, and the results. And this was, and you were um, Frodo, the Hobbit in the Lord of the Rings. Uh -huh. You might say, "Well, I had this evil ring, 
And so uh, I got together with some people and, and we took it to this big volcano called the Cracks of Doom, dumped it in there, and it just ushered in a whole new era in Middle Earth. Well, what's being left out there are the obstacles, because along the way, you know, there were these nine dark riders, you know, and there were all these uh, orcs and, and terrible things. And so when you prepare, you're preparing an interview story, be sure and ask yourself, um, aside from the initial presenting problem I had to solve, were there other problems or obstacles that came up along the way that I'm not mentioning? You don't have to mention all of them. And whether you have time to mention any of them depends on how long your story is. But often it really enriches it if you say, now, what made this really difficult was that we were short staffed at the time and mm. we had this very aggressive deadline. And I couldn't understand how we were going to possibly do it on that deadline with the resources we had. So here's how I overcame that. And that just makes the story that much more impressive because you're showing how you skillfully overcame those obstacles. Yeah, you know, and I think something else that's important to understand about stories, I mean, you're not telling the story because you're trying to reveal what you've done in the past. You're telling the story because you're trying to reveal how what you've done in the past is going to help you do great things for this company in the future. It's all about them. I mean, and it's your ability to be able to convey that you're going to be able to accomplish the things that they need you to accomplish. Do you agree with that? Sure. And sometimes there's even a way you can bring that out. Sometimes at the end of the story, you can say something like, and I think a similar effort would really help or might really help with the challenge you were mentioning about X, you know, or you can ask a question like, uh, do you have similar challenges here? Do you think an approach like that or something similar might work? I love and that. that. Yeah, that helps them. In, it encourages them to think about how you really can do similar things for them. So another thing, um, in both the star and the soar method, there's that R at the end of the word, which stands for results. And if I had to say the single biggest mistake I hear people making in storytelling in, in interviews is that they're not saying enough about the results. Um, they sometimes leave them out entirely. They might say... Um, uh, there was a problem at the call center with uh, too many people calling in about something that could have been in the documentation. So I did this, this, and this, and improved the documentation. Period. Period. And you're not, yeah, and you're not really saying the results. The results are the best part. Yeah. That's what the employer wants to hire you for. So try and, for one thing, quantify the results. Like if you uh, improve, improve that documentation, how much did that reduce support calls? Um, so you can sometimes put it in terms of percentage uh, or percentage of efficiency or time saved or uh, money earned or money saved. You don't have to quantify it, but it definitely helps if you can, even if roughly you can say things like uh, it, it improved revenues uh, significantly or dramatically. You know, and another kind of result you can give that's even different from that, if you're talking about, hey, I led a team doing X, Y, and Z, you know, maybe the result is that you've consistently been rated by your team as in, in the highest rating that you can get as a manager. And you're giving, you know, I'm not just leading teams, but I'm leading them effectively. Right, right. That's great. You know, things that people uh, said or or how they rated you or even just, you know, 
I, the next day I passed so-and-so in the hallway and they, they came up and shook my hand and said, I got to thank you. You've saved me so much time. And now I don't have to stay till seven every night. Right. Um, uh, or, or maybe somebody higher up sent you a nice email in which they said, and be able to actually quote what they said in the email. Um, so another, another kind of result is if you created something that then was used again and again, and it's still in use now, years afterwards, or it got used not just by your team, but it wound up influencing or helping other teams, or they did something similar. So just think to yourself, what are all the different ways in which this, what I did, had a good impact? And I don't mean to intimidate anybody, intimidate anybody feeling like you have to have all of these results to talk about. A lot of times the result is very simple and that's fine, but just always ask yourself as you prepare your stories, is there a little more here to say about results? And, you know, it's true too for your, your uh, resume. And I know you did a lot of helping folks write their resume. That's the biggest Mm -hmm. problem I see with people's resumes is they tell me what they did, but they Mm -hmm. don't tell me what the result of it was. So I always tell them, look, when you read the bullet points from your resume, if you can ask, so what, then you've probably left an important piece out. So, Yeah. yeah, I think it's very, very important. They do that. So a couple of points I want to jump on here. One I love this idea of prepping stories ahead of time. And and you what I always tell folks is I, I've got a process we call seven stories. If you can, if you can practice and know seven stories that reveal how you bring value, you will be amazed at how many different questions you can bend those stories around. So if you've got seven stories, I've got some that I've told for years that, you know, really spotlight some of the great things that I did in previous roles. And they tend to be things that, you know, employers can relate to. And I've been able to apply them to, you know, vastly different kinds of questions questions in a very confident way. So, you know, you can prepare ahead of time and it's a good idea to be doing that because I tell you, and I think you would agree with this, uh, Thea, if you, if, if they're trying to come up with those stories on the fly in the interview, that's a recipe potentially for disaster, right? Oh, it definitely is. Um, in two ways. One is you might not be able to think of uh, a suitable story to answer the question. And so I would say, in addition to your seven core stories that are really fantastic, try and even think of a bunch more just in case. Mm. And and uh, and in your stories list, which you definitely should have, under each story, jot down some notes about what kind of questions, because like you, um, what kind of questions a story could answer. Because like you pointed out, Mark, um, a good story is kind of a multi-purpose tool and it, uh, it could answer different questions. But sometimes that doesn't occur to you in the moment. You're thinking, I don't think I have a story about that. So, so try to have a lot of them. And let me give you a tip about how to develop plenty of stories or even just those seven great stories, which can be challenging for some people, especially in some occupations that are not real, really um, project oriented, that are more kind of um, just a continual attending to things. Like sometimes accounting is kind of like that. Um, but anyway, if you're having any difficulty coming up with stories, one way is to um, look at the job posting. And for every major thing they're saying they want you to do, or even qualities they want you to have, ask yourself, what story do I have that demonstrates that? Um, then another way to do it, and do this too, do more than one method so you can build up a list, is 
look up behavioral interview questions specifically for your occupation, but also just general soft skills, behavioral questions. And um, don't get stuck, you know, try and uh, compile a list off the internet of maybe 50 of them. Don't get stuck trying to ensure you have a great answer to every one. But for this exercise, go through it and spend a few seconds looking at each one going, does this bring a great story to mind or even not, not so great, even a sort of a, you know, run of the mill day to day kind of, but good story. And if it does, jot down something about that story on your list so you'll remember it. And I think um, one great way to structure your stories list is make sure each story has a unique title. So it wouldn't be something like, you know, improving productivity, because you do that in many different ways. But it would be something like um, uh, improving productivity by uh, cut, cutting errors down to 10%. And um, when each story has a unique title that instantly brings the story to mind, it becomes a really good cheat sheet for right before the interview to just read through it all and just look at all the titles. And that refreshes your mind with, okay, what are all my stories? Here, I'm assuming that you are not doing a video interview because if you were, you could actually have a list of those mm. unique titles to glance at while you do it. Yeah, and I love your point about going to the job description because that gets us right back to this idea that it, the interviews are about your employers. It's about what you can yeah. do for them. And so that really can help you tailor those stories directly. That's fantastic. The reality may also exist, though, that they're not good storytellers. Some people are better at it than others. So one thing, you know, you may want to consider looking at the landscape of new technology that's out there. Artificial intelligence could be a very good resource for getting some examples of how you could tell the story. You can feed in the details of what you've done, X, Y, and Z, and then ask something like ChatGPT, tell me a story based on these details. And of course, you don't want to use it exactly as it gives it. You want it to be your voice, but it may be a way to help you get yourself to that. So, you know, using huh. techniques like that, what are some other things you'd recommend to help them get better at storytelling? Yeah, that's a really interesting example. I hadn't thought to try that. Um, some other things would be, uh, oh yeah, how you practice for telling a story and how um, some people will write a whole script and then they'll practice saying that whole script out loud again and again. I don't, I have mixed feelings about that. I tend mm. not to recommend that because what you're going to do with that is you're going to wind up sounding very scripted, like you're reciting something. Yeah. So instead, what I recommend doing is making a little bullet point outline, uh, just a bullet point, each bullet point being a talking point about the story, not full sentences, even just a few words. So like, for instance, if you had a story about, um, uh, identifying and implementing a, a new business management software, you could um, you could put um, realized we needed it because X, and then you could put um, uh, researched it, narrowed it down to three. Uh, next point might be chose this one because Y, um, and then the next point might be. Uh, efficiency was increased by 40%, you know, or, or even just not, that's a full sentence, even just, you know, 40%, because you'll remember what that 40% means. And by not writing all the words there, um, you're discouraging yourself from memorizing it 
and and sounding like a robot because there's nothing that is a bigger turnoff. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's a lot of things that are big turnoff in interviews, but one of the worst things you can do is sound like you're reciting because that what that tells them is this is a person who can't communicate easily yeah. and who is possibly not even telling me the truth because they had to uh, so carefully plan this. What are they trying to hide? So you need to sound natural and you're going to do that by preparing in a way where you're using your own words and not words you've written down. Well, let's park on this uh, telling the truth thing for a minute, because that's kind of where I wanted to go and get your thoughts on this. Let, let's get real for a bit. You know, We're talking about presenting evidence and using stories to support what we're saying we've done as evidence. So are interview viewers really quick to think candidates are lying in your experience? Yeah, they are. And I think a lot of job seekers don't realize that because, of course, the interviewer doesn't at all let on that that's what they're thinking. That would be the height of rudeness. It would mm. be terrible relationship building. But in, in their own mind, they may be thinking that because uh, according to a poll that I found that was cited on Forbes, 80% of people say they've lied in an interview. Hmm. And 44% of them said they've done it often. Wow. So interviewers would be foolish not to be a little skeptical. And that's one of the biggest reasons why you have to give them evidence. Uh, you have to be sure that you're... Being specific, for one thing, that's one way to provide evidence, which is to give specific enough details, not, you know, burdening with huge amount of details, but be specific so that they can picture it. And that's the great thing about the stories is when you tell a story, they can picture what you're saying. They see you on the job. Uh, seeing is believing, you know, and, and seeing is also much more memorable. And you need them to remember that image of you performing successfully. Um, and all of that gives you that credibility and counteracts any suspicion the interviewer might have had. And of course, another thing that helps convince people you're telling the truth is if you are telling the truth. Right. You know? And I, a lot of times I've had people come to me and say, you know, I've got this situation that's so bad. I just don't know how I'm going to be able to get a job if I tell the truth about this. And, and I yeah. feel for them. I really do. Um, but generally, if you're not telling the truth, they're likely to pick up on it. Yeah. either during the interview or, God forbid, half a year later when you're on the job. And it can really ruin your reputation. But enough yeah. about that. Well, and I and I agree. And you, you've you got to find a way to deal with that truthfully. I mean, I've worked with folks, I mean, who were fired from their last job. And boy, you want to talk about a topic that's difficult to talk about. But you've got to find a way to be able to address the elephants in the room. And it's not easy. And that's why preparation is so critical. Well, all right. So we know storytelling is a great way to provide evidence. What are some other ways job seekers can prove their skills? Um, okay. So one way is in terms of the all important soft skills, yeah. like, like interpersonal skills, communication, self-management, adaptability, and so on. You can demonstrate those by how you personally present yourself in the interview process. Um, for example, interpersonal skills or social skills. Um, if you are a person who is not naturally gifted at small talk, and I totally understand I'm not either, um, think a little bit about how you're going to make small talk, because that is part of how we demonstrate our interpersonal skills. And um, I saw some... Uh, 
Well, one thing that you can you can say, for example, plan some questions you might ask at the beginning before the interview really gets started. And a great one is, um, how's your day going so far? And when you ask a question like that as a conversation starter, um, respond in a human way to whatever it is that they say. Like they may they may reveal something about how they're having a rough day and really listen to that and 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 read back like like wow that does sound like an awful lot all at once I hope you're coping all right with that you know um, or if they're if they just give a answer like it's going fine how about yours great you know don't probe further the good good social skills dictates that you then say I'm doing good too looking forward to talking with you further you know something simple. So social skills, communication, communicating uh, in a clear and organized way uh, throughout, not just at the interview, but, but for example, uh, if you haven't found out before the interview certain things you wish you knew, like they've told you that you're meeting with three people, but you they didn't know at the time who those three people would be, or they told you the names, but you don't know those people's roles. You communicate proactively and assertively by pinging them back and saying, by the way, uh, can you tell me what those people's roles are so I can understand their point of view about things? Um, self-management. You can demonstrate good self-management by doing the best you can not to be flustered and nervous during the interview. And that's, I know, easily said. And people mm. out there are thinking, well, yeah, how the heck do I do that? Um, it is a challenge, and I would say one important way is to be prepared, for one thing. The more prepared you are, the less nervous you'll be. Another is mental rehearsal, and by that I mean um, take some time, even just a couple minutes sometime at home, to close your eyes and imagine the interview from beginning to end. Imagine it going just the way you want it to. and make that really vivid, like how you're going to feel, how you're going to be breathing, how your posture is going to be in this interview that's going better than any interview you've ever had before. And imagining what you're going to hear, uh, imagining yourself thinking, hey, this is going well, and imagine the other person's voice sounding sounding enthused and interested in what you're saying. And uh, if you want to make sure that you're going to be uh, cool, calm, and collected and have the right idea, ideas and, and stories coming to mind, then picture yourself being that way and having things easily come to mind. And you would be surprised how well this works. If this is something that um, performers and athletes very yeah. often use to prepare for what they need to do. So it's not woo-woo. It's something that people who whose performance um, is very important will, will do. Um, Affirmations can be very useful too if you use them right. It's not they can be very annoying and ineffective if you if you don't use them right. Um, breathing it can be useful. And people always say, "Okay, I'm going to be sure and breathe at the interview," but they don't necessarily. Why? Because they didn't practice ahead of time. So discover, find a simple breathing technique. I'll tell you one right now. Uh, would be to in a very relaxed way, inhale while thinking I am, and exhale while thinking at peace. Hmm. And practice that for a few minutes today, and then practice it for a few minutes tomorrow, and then for a few minutes uh, on the morning of an interview. 
And even that amount of practice might be enough that you might actually remember to do that while you're in the reception area, possibly even during a slow moment during the interview. And it really can help. Uh, but you have to put some effort into not being a nervous wreck. That's right. Uh, yeah, it isn't something you can just go, okay, this time I'm not going to be nervous. There's a little more to it. Well, let me emphasize a couple of things I heard as you were walking through all that. I mean, the, first of all, uh, the first part of your your conversation was about um, personality. That's one of the things, folks, you know, bring your personality to the interview. I've had so many interviews that I've conducted over the years where people come in, they come in very professional, very stoic, and I think they feel like they need to give off that. But man, one of the things I'm interviewing here is just what kind of person am I going to be working with here? Mm -hmm. I want to be able to see that personality in the room and see how are we going to interact and how are we going to mesh? And am I going to want to come to work with this person every day? So don't forget about letting your personality show. And then you use the word practice over and over again. And I'll tell you that the, when I work with folks on interviews, uh, the thing that I have to twist their arm the most about is, hey, let's let's do a practice session. I mean, we'll we'll do a, uh, a a video interview together and I'll record it for them and I'll even pretend to be like the company that they're getting ready to interview with and ask all the same kind of questions and things. And then, you know, we'll look at the game film together. I can tell you there is not a pro football, any kind of athletic team out there that just shows up on the field. You've got to be in the film room looking at the at the film and seeing where can you get better. And I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But, man, if you want to improve your confidence, um, yeah, it's a great way to do it. What are your thoughts on that? Thea? Yeah, I agree. I do the same thing. I always record the sessions and uh, people are afraid to watch the recording of themselves. Um, Try and be a little more kind to yourself so that you can watch that recording and not freak out and realize I'm going to see myself making some mistakes mm -hmm. and the vast majority of them are going to be correctable, maybe even easily correctable. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. And then at some point in the future, I'll see a recording of myself and, and I'll, I'll love the way it looks or, or I'll come out of an interview thinking, you know, I bet, I bet I came across really well because I feel good. Um, yeah. So, so don't be afraid to, to definitely record yourself and take a look, take a listen. It's invaluable. It is. It is. Well, let's pull something else out about your book that kind of relates to this topic we're on right now. It got my attention. So you talked about rev points in the book. Can you talk about why that's crucial for job seekers to identify these unique rev points that you talk about? Yeah, sure. So rev is an acronym and it stands for relevant. Uh, exceptional and verifiable. And what it means is that your stories, oh wait, this is really more about identifying what differentiates you from other people. And the reason yeah. I call them rev points is that they work best if they are highly relevant, if they are exceptional. So in other words, it's not just something that all of the people they interview are going to have. Like, you know, if they require a bachelor's degree, the fact that you have a bachelor's degree is not exceptional but maybe the fact that you have a master's degree is. Yes. Um, and verifiable is that point we're discussing now about proof. By verifiable, you know, I must admit I chose V because it made a good acronym. Yeah. Uh, but what I mean by that is evidence, is, is um, telling them things that are not just your own opinion, but that have facts behind them, um, or they can be demonstrated by telling a story, um, or that you have some other definite 
reason you can offer them to believe it. Um, and the reason you want to identify these rev points is otherwise you're going into the interview in a totally reactive mode. You're just hoping that they'll discover what makes you stand out. Um, but it's more effective if you come into it knowing, okay, here's the key points that I want to be sure I make somehow during this interview. Um, and some of those ref points should probably be technical things, and some of them may be soft skills. Um, and I'm talking about maybe like a top five, a top three, top six at most, something like that. Um, and... The way to identify them is asking yourself a lot of questions like, what have my employers been really grateful to me for or really appreciated me for? What do I do better than anyone else? And there's actually a list in my book of these questions that you can go through to try and identify your rev points. What um, uh, Am I the best at something or the first or the only one? Now, if you aren't, don't worry about it. There's a lot of questions here and you don't have, a great, nice. have to have a great answer to every one of them. Is there an important area in which I'm exceptionally knowledgeable? Which part of my job am I most passionate about? Am I exceptionally good at that? Do I have an exceptional record of promotions or career growth? And so on. And when you've jotted down some, some possible rev points, then check them over, make sure that they're all relevant, exceptional, verifiable. They're either facts or, yeah, they're facts. They can be verified with details and stories and so on. And then once you know what those rev points are in the interview, you want to try and communicate them as soon as possible. And I think a good way is to work them into your answer to the first question, like tell me about yourself or whatever they ask first. So in addition, in, and people are stuck on this because it's like, I don't want to just walk through my resume. That doesn't feel right. But what else do I do? Well, what you do is talk a little bit about your experience, but in a way that demonstrates these top things about you that are going to make the difference and make them think, oh, okay, this person is special. That takes some doing. And we usually spend probably 40 minutes to an hour working out that great answer. If we, we spend about a half hour in the first session drafting that, and then the next time I meet with them, I hear it. And usually I have some fine tweaking to add. Yeah. Cause it's very important. It's a first impression. And if you get that, that first question, right, yeah. you're going to be so much more confident throughout the rest of the interview. No questions. It'll start building on itself. And yeah. I love that your book can work, works like a workbook that you've got a lot of things in there that people can interact with that helps them do this preparation that we're talking about. So that's great. Yeah, it walks them through it. Yes. Well, let's look at the landscape of interviewing in the future. And I want to look a little bit backward first and then get your thoughts about what the next 10 years of interviewing might look like. But if we look backwards, one of the things that I see very commonly that has consistently been a part of a lot of interviews is an interviewer is going to try to get you to talk about those things we don't want to talk about. Tell me about a time when things didn't go well. Do you feel like that's still a part of the interview? And and do you feel like most interviewer or interviewees are are not preparing for that question like they should be? Yeah, I would think they're not preparing. I think they're not preparing for most of the questions as mm -hmm. well as they could be. Um, and interviewers are getting a little more subtle and a little more tactful sometimes about yeah. how they ask about these weakness and failure questions, but they're still asking them. And um, 
you do want to have a good answer and you don't want to have an evasive answer. Right. You want to have an answer that's what I call both authentic and strategic. By the way, I think of those as the yin and yang of a good interview, being authentic and at the same time strategic. So, um, for instance, if they ask you about a time when things didn't go well, um, a, a project you managed that didn't succeed. So if they've asked you that, one of the, why are they asking that? It's always a good exercise to ask yourself as you're preparing for a certain answer. Why would they ask me that? They're not trying to find out whether you're perfect or not. Um, what they're trying to find out is is how you are around your mistakes, whether you're willing to um, and comfortable with admitting you've made a mistake, whether you're transparent, uh, and also how you fix it when you've made a mistake, how you learn from it. And so that's what your story needs to do yeah. is um, pick a situation where, yes, you made a mistake, but you did a real good job of uh, fixing it and learning from it and talk about, be sure you talk about that aspect of it as well. And that is really hard to do if you're trying to do it off the top of your head. I mean, one of the yeah. stories that I tell consistently in interviews, gosh, when I was young in my career and was just an account manager, I was thrown out of one of my accounts off three times because I came in telling them what they needed to do. And, you know, one, it showed tenacity that I kept coming back. But two, <laughs> I, I finally got it through my head. I need to be listening to him and understanding what his business needs are and then trying to figure out how I can accommodate and help. And when I did that, it changed our relationship. And if you fast forward to like three years later, even when I was no longer in that role, I would get phone calls from this client who would be asking my opinion on things because we had developed the rapport we needed. So when you tell a story like that, I can be very vulnerable and say, hey, I screwed up. I mean, I was kicked out of his office. Literally, he told me to get out. <laughs> and that's not that's not a great thing. But you can turn it to show, hey, but but I I hung in there and I did my job and I learned how to listen to my customer better. Yeah, and that's a great demonstration that you just yeah. gave. And I think, you know, there, everybody's got something like that. You, it, but are you going to want to think of it in the interview room? Or are you going to be sitting quietly at home and consider that and then figure out how does that story come to life and, and work for you? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some things I really like about the example you just gave, which would be a great interview answer. Um, for one thing, it was a big mistake. Mm. And therefore, I like the fact that it was many years ago. Yeah, right. They don't want to hear about you making that big a mistake, getting thrown out three times um, last year. Right. Just in my last job. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that with most stories, you want them to be recent. But with mistake stories, it's better if they're a little further back. Another thing I like about that is your tone of voice, as you told it, showed that um, you're not freaking out about it anymore. You've, yeah. you've processed that. And that reassures me that you're confident now and that you really have learned the lesson of that. And if so out there listening audience, if you're going to tell a story or an, or an answer in an interview that you feel so freaked out about that you, your voice is likely to shake as you do it, you need to either resolve that or tell another story. Mm. Um, Good advice. Another thing. Yeah. Another thing I loved about that is you put a lot of emphasis on what you learned from that and the fact and i got the definite sense that you never did that again um so so that's uh that's no a really i, I did it like 12 times afterward but then that's just <laughs> <me>. <laughs> no i'll tell you though it i mean i learned so much more from that thing that went wrong than yeah. all of my clients who loved me 
yeah. and you know, if you're willing to take that stuff in. But that's, again, I think what employers want to hear and they want yeah. to see that. Well, let's talk about employers for the future. I mean, technology is changing the game. I mean, you've got a lot more video interviews now. You've got now these one-way video or interviews where it's a recorded thing and you record your answers. And those are intimidating. Um, I mean, where do you see the trend going? I mean, how do you feel like interviews are going to look in the next five, 10 years? Yeah, I don't think I can think 10 years ahead right now. With it AI. won't go five. Yeah, yeah, things are changing so fast. Um, but there's already a limited amount of AI being used in the interview process. Not a whole lot, but it will definitely increase. I re recently read an article by Bill Gates in which he was talking about how life is going to be so transformed in just mm -hmm. the next five years. Um, I'm not sure if it's as extreme as he said, but it might be. Yeah. And and so um, that may be coming more involvement of AI. But right now what's going on is these, like you said, these one-way interviews, those are going to probably become more common. And let's talk about how you can do those more effectively. Um, I think one of the biggest obstacles in doing well with those interviews is that you're talking to a machine and it feels funny because you're not mm. talking to a person. And so you need to really remind yourself that you, you are talking to a person. They're just not there yet. Yeah. And so as you talk, um, you know, rev up that imagination that of make believe and pretend that you had as a child and, and, and imagine that person listening to you, that person who's going to be listening. And if you have no idea what that person looks like or who they are, make something up, imagine them looking a certain way and, uh, imagine that they're a nice person who you have some things in common with, and then imagine them smiling and nodding as, as you give your answer. So you need to sort of personalize it that way. Um, another thing that's important with any kind of video interview and that I see people messing up on a lot is um, eye contact, for example. Mm. Yeah. Even in these recorded interviews, there is presumably going to be somebody watching it. And you can give the, the sense of eye contact in a video interview by looking at the camera. Now, everybody knows that, right? But the hard part is, then you wind up looking back and forth between the person's face and the camera in, a, in an unnatural way, because you do need to keep looking at their face to see what their reactions are and so on. So what I usually do during a video interview is find a way to shrink the, the video window. Uh, and on a Mac, the way I do that is with the mouse, I grab the corner of the window and drag it until the window is smaller. That may be different on a Windows machine. But you make make the the interview window smaller and move it to um, up to right next to the camera. Yeah, and this is especially important if you're using a full size desktop computer. On a laptop, it's a little less of a problem. And once that image is close to the camera, then looking at the person's face is virtually looking at the camera, and so it becomes effortless to have that good eye contact. No, and I I think that's really good advice. And and nowadays, if you're if you're not getting good at at doing a video interview, you need to practice that because you're gonna come across it. And that one way interview too, it's kind of like a commercial. I mean, all these companies that are selling themselves, the first thing is maybe that commercial that's there. So you want to make sure that that represents you well, so that they'll want to see more. So that's your commercial that's introducing yourself. And I, believe me, I've seen a lot of these. 
uh, it's it's not as hard as you think to stand out on some of those because a lot of people don't practice. Well, hey, we're we're kind of getting towards the end, Thea. And I always like to, at the end of the show, ask my guests if they'd be willing to get a little vulnerable and share a bit about their career journey. And so to that end, I mean, I'm wondering, do you have an interview story where you maybe struggled in the past and, and something you learned from personally? I did some terrible interviews in my life, as I mentioned. You did say earlier. that, didn't you? <laughs> I don't remember any of them specifically, but I do remember one day the outfit I was getting ready to wear to an interview. At that time in my life, uh -huh. I think I was in my 20s, I was a big believer in being myself. And I still think you need to be yourself. That's the authenticity I talked about. But it needs to be balanced, you know, by the strategy. And at that point, my idea of being myself in dressing for an interview is uh, I was in, in my apartment and I had some roommates and I came out dressed for the interview and I was wearing, um, among other things, uh, a black skirt with um, olive green cotton tights uh -huh. with black espadrilles. And this is all way too casual mm. and, and funky. And my one of my roommates said, you're going to an interview in that? <laughs> and, and I said, well, I want to be myself. Yeah. So, what I would say is this is a good example of misunderstanding what being yourself means. Being yourself does not necessarily mean you, you need to show you can play the game by, yeah. by wearing the right kind of clothes, but then be yourself by uh, making a little joke uh, or, or, you know, be yourself by being authentic in your answers. Yeah. So, yeah. So that, that was what I did. And I winged it. Like I said, I never prepared for interviews because I thought, well, I'm really good at communication. So uh, whatever I say will be fine and it'll be myself. And I did wind up um, getting jobs. I think largely from people who found it refreshing that I was so blunt and straightforward. But I think I probably would have gotten even better jobs mm. if I had uh, played the game in the way that works. Yeah, and it, it, I appreciate the fine line that you're talking about here, but it is it is important, right? I mean, you've got to understand, I mean, even something as simple as attire. Like when I was yeah. hiring for folks, I mean, you showed up in jeans, that was pretty much it. If you can't figure that part out, you know, yeah. that you need to be a little bit more professional, eh, the rest of it, it doesn't necessarily get my attention. Right. So, yeah, it's, it's a good and important balancing act. Well... Uh -huh. Thea, thank you. It's been great having you here for the topic. You've obviously been around it a long time. So I'm wondering, I mean, is there any parting information you want to share with them? Do you have other resources that you offer? And, and I'm sure folks would like to know how to get in touch with you. Yeah. Okay. So uh, you can, first of all, you can subscribe to my blog, which is at greatjobsooner.com. And at greatjobsooner.com, that's also my website, and there's a contact button, and you can contact me um, for a free consultation. We can talk about your situation and whether my working with you would be what you're looking for. Um, regarding the blog, if you subscribe to the blog, there are various free gifts that you can get. I think one of them is, uh, uh, gosh, I've forgotten. They've been there for so long. Um, yeah, one of them is a, is a sort of infographic about how to call the hiring manager after an interview, for example. Oh, that's good Guide, stuff. Guides yeah. you right through it. Yeah, stuff like that. And um, the blog comes out once a week with very informative articles about some aspect of job search. So it's an easy way to just keep in, informing yourself about job search by getting those emails every Tuesday morning. Um, 
yeah and so those are the main resources greatjobsooner.com and get in touch with me and let's talk about your situation well Thea, thank you so much for what you're doing out there to help folks find meaningful work and i i certainly appreciate that and it's nice to know there are people out out there like you bringing uh, this kind of value to them so i hope the conversation today has been valuable thanks for being here yeah thank you it's been a great pleasure mark so is there enough evidence out there to convict you as the right candidate for the job you want? Thea hit on some great fundamentals, and I expect some things about interviewing that you hadn't even thought about yet. But here are the big headlines. Make sure your story spotlights your results as much as possible. Bring your personality to the interview and always, always, always practice for your interviews. Shooting from the hip might prevent you from getting that job that in reality, you were the best candidate for. If you need some help preparing, visit Thea's site or stop by revealtalent.com. We'd love to be a career advocate for you.